and for the whole month of November, we are just going to give thanks for this hymn, really, of security, this doxology of Christian security. And um, we certainly have a lot to be thankful for in relationship to who we are in Jesus Christ and because of Jesus Christ and the security and the assurance that we are his children outlined for us here verses 31 to 39 is enough to demand our attention for uh, a few weeks to be sure so thank you Lincoln for your investment of time and worship and preparing my heart to preach and, uh, and all of our hearts to hear uh, God's word this morning and thank you again to all of you who sing with such spiritual zest um, and encourage my heart and encourage each other heart in the, in the word as well. All right, anyone need a Bible to follow along with this morning? Just slip up your hand. You may have forgotten it in the car or at home, uh, or maybe your device's battery ran out and you're without a scripture. And uh, I want to make sure everyone has a Bible to follow along with this morning. This hymn of praise, this song of praise, this doxology of praise, of security of the believer includes multiple questions to arouse our attention to the reality of the security that we have uh, in Jesus Christ. And um, we want to investigate further another question or two this morning in relationship to understanding the security and assurance that we have in Christ. So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and ask God's blessing on this time in his word and understanding a question or two more in relationship to our assurance in Christ. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have in this hour to investigate your word, to, to um, settle our hearts even more that we are in Christ, and what God has done in our hearts, he would never undo. Omnipotence would never undo itself. So we're thankful for the reality of our opportunity to investigate these words in this text to bring greater joy to our hearts, and Lord, may the joy of the assurance that we are your children be invested not only in praise to you, but in, in one another by encouraging those who may be uh, discouraged this morning and possibly to a very great degree discouraged. I pray that those discouraged loved ones in Christ's hearts would uh, have a burden lifted by being reminded of your promises towards them in this text, and that we would all have a part in lifting one another up today and edifying one another uh, in your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As we looked together uh, two weeks ago when we were here, we found the first question, the first part of verse 31, and we concluded one of two things. Whatever conclusion that you would like to make, uh, that's fine. We concluded that the question at the beginning of verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? Uh, either was a question that brought us to the conclusion of what do we say about chapter 8, or what do we say about all of the first eight chapters of the book of Romans? Regardless, it's a great question to ask. 
What do you say? What do we say of these things? And we challenged your heart. That if you're a believer, there's a way that you'll respond to that question. And if you, yet, if, you yet to, if you are yet to know Christ, there would be a particular way that you would respond uh, to that question. But, but nonetheless, we, we won't spend any more time there. We went on next. The verse says, if God is for us, our first main question here, who is against us? Or who can be or will be against us? We noted that that question could be better asked because God is for us. Who is against us. Again, we won't outline the details that we went through there. Um, you can go back and, and uh, listen to that sermon or watch a video of that sermon on our website, gracechurchmentor.org, if you'd like to um, remind your own hearts of the truth we discussed there. Verse 32. Here's another question. Uh, really, because the first part of verse 31 was a question of summation or conclusion. The first intentional question we have in relationship to our security is what we looked at two weeks ago. Because God is for us, who can be against us? The second main question is this. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. And here's the question. How will he not also with him freely give us, what does the text say? All things. Freely give us all things. I was reading recently in a commentary and a story was told of a Sunday school teacher years ago who gave a challenge to her sixth grade students. She said, I will give a $10 bill to every student who can tell me a promise that God will give us that he has not already given us. That'll tease you for a moment. I'll give a $10 bill for anyone that can express a promise that God will give us that he has not already given us. Well, a few of the students, the story goes on to tell, begin to raise their hand and say, well, none of us have been to heaven yet, so that's a promise that we've not experienced yet. But the teacher said, can you give me a promise that God will give us that he's not already given us? Right. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that in Christ we've already been given all the things that are heavenly and all the spiritual blessings of the heavenlies. Remember last week or two weeks ago we said that the beginning of chapter 8 begins with the phrase in Christ in verse 1 and the the last verse of chapter 8 concludes with the same, that once we are in Christ, all that is Christ's given to him by the Father is ours. We can make an argument that the only thing that we don't have and will never have that is Christ's is infinite. Infinite. Because we are finite. We are created beings, are we not? Angels are created beings. We will never share in the infinite nature of personhood or reality. None of us are eternal because we've been created. Outside the reality of being infinite 
or being eternal as God is, as the Godhead is, everything else that God is in Christ Jesus, once we own Jesus as our Savior, we have. All the promises that God gave his son are our promises. So no $10 bills were given out in that Sunday school class. Because in reality, we already have everything. We already have all things in Christ Jesus. None of us could think of one good thing that we've not already been given positionally or practically in Christ Jesus. So before we continue on into the all things here, let's go back and let's look at the two phrases that the Apostle Paul gives us here before he asks the question in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, phrase number one, tightly tied to it is phrase number two, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? The general understanding of the first two statements of verse 32 is this. Since God gave us something exclusively special to him, uh, John chapter 3 and verse 16 God so loved the world that he gave his only what? Begotten son. Unique son. The word there means one of a kind. Never had there ever been, nor would there ever be another son like him. That's exactly what it means. God so loved the world that he gave his one of a kind, unique son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God gave us all that he had. And since we understand from the scriptures that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh, you remember what Matthew said. He is Emmanuel, which means, Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Since God gave us all of himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, how can he not freely give us all things? Because he's already given us all of himself in his son. The phrases here get a little bit more specific than that general description. He says, he who did not spare his own son. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. Let's go to Isaiah 53, a familiar passage to many of us. Unfamiliar to some of us, I'm sure. Isaiah 53, and let's see what the prophet Isaiah has to say about the reality of God having giving, given to us everything in the person of his son. We'll begin in verse 3 of Isaiah 53. He was despised and forsaken of men, he being Christ. It's a prophecy of the suffering servant to come. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. 
Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But Christ, he was pierced through for our sins, our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening or punishment of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging or beating, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the sin of all of us to fall upon him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due. Verse 10. But the Lord pleased, the Lord was pleased to crush him, Christ, putting his own son to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see offspring, his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of our Lord will prosper in his hand. That's a profound text for many of us. For those of you who are newer to Christ, to you this morning, it is probably a simple text explaining to you that God gave us something very special and unique to him. He gave us his son and he gave us his son to die our death. Right? The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the payment for sin is death. Why do we have graveyards? It's not rocket science. Everyone's going to die. And we all die because of the effects of sin in our bodies, both our sin and sin in the world. God loved the world that he freely gave up his own son. His unique, special, one-of-a-kind son. That whoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. This is, as you go back to Romans chapter 8, Isaiah 53 then is a fuller description of what Paul's saying here in the beginning part of verse 32. He, God, who did not spare his own son Christ, but delivered him up, delivered him over for us, all. There's a couple phrases here in the second part of this uh, first sentence of verse 32 that I want to focus on just for a moment. See the word there, but delivered him over for us all. The word delivered here is a very, very interesting word. It's along the lines of what we've seen before in John chapter 3 and other texts where Christ freely gave or God freely gave Christ to us. He, he delivered him up over for us all. The idea is here, everything that God's done for us in Christ has been centered in 
His grace. Unmerited favor. So I think we could more accurately say, from what I understand about this text, that God freely graced us in the delivery of his own son for us. He graced us in Christ Jesus. God's grace freely presented Jesus Christ to us. And that if we would be willing to accept him as our offering for sin, that God's grace would allow us to be part of his family. If we would turn from our sin, place our faith in Jesus Christ, accept this grace that God delivered up for us, that we would be one of his children. He didn't expect this to be difficult to understand, but again, in light of the context, we have to understand assurance and security. So while my appeal first has been to those who may not know Christ as Savior yet, remember this text is directly given to those who do know him. And the question then that we see at the end of verse 32 really has no answer because it's perfunctory for us. It's really a rhetorical question. How can he then or how shall he then not freely give us all things? There's no answer to that. There's no $10 bill to be given. Because in Christ Jesus, he's already given all things to us. And how did he do that? By delivering up, by gracing us with the grace of God who is Jesus Christ himself. We have everything in him. It says here, how can he not freely give us? Who's the us here? All those who have believed. The reality is those who don't believe have not been freely gifted yet. So the reality is for you is that this morning, if you've yet to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, you find out now that God's grace has freely delivered Christ up for you. And you have the opportunity to hear about him this morning, decide that he came for you to die on the cross for your sin, as we saw in Isaiah 53. God graced him up for you. He's giving you something that you don't deserve. It's his son, his one-of-a-kind son, that if you would turn from your sin and place your faith in him and believe in him, you would never perish but have eternal life. Go over with me now to Ephesians chapter 1, real, real briefly. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul uses similar language in a New Testament context as we looked at Isaiah's language in Isaiah 53. This is also a great doxology, a great hymn of praise for the believer. And, and I think there's a similar text given by the Apostle Peter. We won't look at that this morning, but 2 Peter, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 1. I believe it's verse 3, 2 or 3 there, begins with the word blessed. Anytime you see this word blessed begin a context of Scripture, you can be assured that uh, these saints are probably, uh, have already probably put a tune to these words. They've probably put a song to these words. So Paul begins here in song, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And what's the prepositional phrase there that comes next? In Christ. We are secure with all spiritual realities. In Christ Jesus. 
Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely, remember he delivered up, he graced us, he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. The beloved there is Jesus Christ. In him again, verse 7, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. So, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up over, delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Well, I think we've examined not just how he was given up in Isaiah 53, and just by a cursory reading of Ephesians chapter 1, we've identified some realities that we have in Jesus Christ in our position. But what about practically? It says here, he's given us all things. Well, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. I think that'd be a good text to write in the margin of your Bible, right next to verse 32, and draw an arrow from all things over to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. When we have a new nature, when we trust Christ as our Savior and we're born again, God gives us a unique ability, as we've already studied, to know this book and to understand it and apply it. And in this book, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says that we have the ability because we're Christ's child now, to not only understand this book, but to do it. This book pertains to all matters, the apostle says, to life and to godliness. So anything in life that we face of a spiritual nature, God gives us an answer in his word. Anything that it requires for us to please God, not just positionally we're already pleasing to God in Christ, but practically... Godliness, it's in this book. So we talk about being blessed in Christ, having freely been given all things, that it's much more expansive than just being forgiven. All right? It's much more expansive than just being declared righteous in Jesus Christ. That's a great gift, isn't it? It's wonderful to... Uh, it's wonderful to have our hearts secure in the reality that God no longer uh, loves us based on whether we have a good day or a bad day. God just loves us because his son's in us and he loves his son and he can't help himself but love his son. So he can't help himself but love us. That's the positional aspect. What about the practical things? What does Hebrews 13.5 say? The Lord will never leave you nor what? Or forsake you. That's not positional, that's practical, isn't it? Have you enjoyed the presence of the Lord this week? Have you enjoyed the reality that the Lord is with you and he will never forsake you? You heard the old story of the old couple from Wyoming, lived out on the range, drove around a big red pickup truck. You probably could finish the story before I do. 
They're driving along Old Country Road because you know in order to get groceries in that neck of the woods, you've got to drive for about an hour and a half to three hours. Right? One day, the older spouse looked over at her husband and said, you know, do you remember the days when we were first married? And when we drove around together, we would always cozy up and snuggle up and and I would sit right next to you and we would just drive for hours. Not say much, but just enjoy being close to each other. And she said, do you remember those days? And he goes, yeah. And she said, so what happened? And he said, well, I've not moved. <laughs> right? And you all will blame it on the seatbelt laws, right? And you guys will blame it on cars being made with uh, separation devices. Right? Right. But the reality is for us, God has freely given us all things. And he's not moved. Right. We'll move away from his presence, but it's never gone away from us. How will he not freely give us all things? Go over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 real quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Again, a familiar text to most of you, but certainly not to all of us. All things pertaining to life and to godliness. And I believe again here, probably another text where words had been put to song. Verse 3, blessed... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all what? Comfort. Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. How will he freely not give us all things? How many of you in the last week have been advantaged by the comfort of God? Right? Often we think of comfort being realized in extreme circumstances. The death of a spouse, a child, a parent, a friend. Maybe an extreme diagnosis of some kind. And certainly in those moments, we, we know the comfort of God because we know there's no one on earth, even those closest to us, that could truly comfort us like God can. But the text is very clear here. That God in Christ has given us a comfort and that comfort could be for any affliction, any difficulty, of any degree, of any kind. And how often do we go through our weeks as believers taking advantage of the reality of the comfort of God given to us in extreme moments of affliction? but not necessarily embracing the comfort of God in lesser moments of affliction. 
lesser moments of affliction like what? Losing a job. Getting demoted at your job. Not getting a raise that you were promised at your job. An illness that caused you to miss work beyond the allotted amount of personal days. And you had to take up your vacation days. So, so now your vacation's gone. Maybe you're part of a job that doesn't even believe in vacation. Maybe you work for Scrooge himself. Some of you are shaking your heads. Be careful. <laughs> careful. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. Maybe you're an athlete that received a, a, a season-ending injury. Maybe you're, maybe you're an athlete that incurred a career-ending injury. Maybe something like that altered your life. Maybe you've been given an illness that keeps you from doing what your heart wants you wants to do. And you thought was your life's calling. And you missed out on a part of life that would have been a glorious part of your life. But, but there was other plans. God is the God of all kinds of comfort. And this comfort's sourced primarily in him. But don't forget what the text said. It's sourced secondarily in his people. All throughout this congregation, God has freely given us all things when it even comes to understanding the comfort of God. Because all throughout this auditorium are people that have experienced extreme affliction and lesser affliction and everything in between. And they've known the comfort of God in that hour and they're available to you to help you Understand that comfort. How can he not freely give us all things? What does the psalmist say? Will the Lord ever allow his righteous ones to go without bread? Nope. First Timothy 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. What are we to be content with? Food, clothing, and shelter. Will God ever let his loved ones go without their basic needs. No. He has freely given us all things in Christ Jesus. Not just positionally, but what? Practically. Not just sourced in Him, but by His grace made available to all of us, even through each other, and that even comes after our investigation of His Word. All things... God has given to us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.